My name is uh, Dr. Alicia Wynn. Um, I'm a, an applied cultural anthropologist, and I am also the owner and the founder of Consider the Culture, uh, which is a cultural education consulting firm. And then lastly, I am a professor at Palm Beach Atlantic University in the School of Men Ministry uh, in connection to intercultural studies. Hey, it's Kellen, and today on Diversified Game, it's going to be a great conversation because there's a lot of things that you guys have been saying online, saying to me in person, and I'm bringing somebody who actually has studied this. Now, she is, and I love this because you guys know we represent them HBCUs over here. She went from an HBCU. She went from Georgia State. She's gone back to Florida. She's just, I mean, she's teaching as a professor now, and she's going to give us the game, but you know, we met, and I thank Miss Sean Ho King, Talented Teen Club. That's where we met doing something. Um, sometimes, you guys, when you volunteer, you'll meet a lot of good people. So don't mm -hmm. always think it's about the profit. Sometimes it's about the purpose all the time, really. But Dr. Wynn, welcome to the show, Diversified Game. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm, I'm very well. Thank you. Thank you. Good, good. I'm glad to hear that. And I'm going to try to do my best to keep everything professor and professional oh. <laughs> in our in our questions. But one question that I had to ask you, uh -huh. and it's been bothering me and you may check me and you may correct me or mm -hmm. you may tell me, Kellen, you're on to something. But mm -hmm. we're seeing online, you know, um, everybody, I, and I'm one of those, hey, you guys come check out Africa. Hey, you guys come get your citizenship. Hey, do a business. But then you also have Black folk here in America and in the, you know, the Americas, because uh, I'm including the Caribbean and all that. And they'll say, oh no, Black is me and darker, Haitian brother. Oh no, I'm FBA. I'm from here. I'm indigenous to America. And I just say, Okay, maybe when the continents were all together, what is that, Patagia? Maybe you your people walked over, but can you explain if any of us or how we can find out if we're indigenous to the Americas and what you think about that whole conversation? Because you might be like, uh-oh, these fools, here we go. <laughs> well, that is a big question. That is a even, I won't say controversial, but people have different perspective of, perspectives of it because um, you know, there's a, a, a you know, kind of a, a, a path of people who, who say that, you know, there are the indigenous people are people of color and if moved, you know, came over from, you know, as the Pangea, as you said, and traveled and came from north and came down into America, North America, South America, and have been here much longer than, you know, what people have has said, right? And that goes way back, and that requires probably some some research, some DNA testing, um, and finding out, you know, how you know your um, mtDNA uh, about you know how long people have been here, right? Um, and archaeologists and bio um, bioanthropologists, you know, really focus on that. As a cultural anthropologist, I will say that you know there is such 
uh, a mixture of us and we've been mixed around and moved around as far as migration of people, whether it's voluntary or involuntary through slavery, where it's very difficult to really, really distinguish and particularly um, African Americans or people of color who um, or descendants of slaves that, that were brought here. Um, and even that is questionable how people have been talking about um, who was brought here and who wasn't because of so much time has passed by. So it's very hard to, I think, to really pinpoint exactly, unless you're doing some type of genealogy work to really understand, you know, that timeline or that that heritage line of where you came from. So for instance, on my father's side of the family, his mother, um, it came from Nassau, Bahamas, right? But then on his his father's side of the family, they came from Bartow, Florida, right? And so you got these kind of Caribbean connection, but even the South Florida and indigenous uh, connection, meaning my great grandmother was a Cherokee Indian, Native American. And so you got kind of this combination of the two of people of color or peoples of color in the same space or coming together um, and what who I am today. You know what I mean? And I know, may not be answering your question fully, but I think it is that is the challenge. And I think that people should, one, go back as far as they can and do research because of slavery and the messiness of slavery, even though there was some organization of you know property owners and who they had, people moved around, people ran away, people moved, they came and got their families, they moved out to West, they some settled here, some you know came from Georgia and came down into Florida. So I think it depends on the region. It depends on the family and, and the genealogy and what you do and what you find. Um, but um, I will say that as far as in the African diaspora, we all share a very similar story. We were dropped off in different places, but we still have some of the same struggle and the same history and the same story. We're just telling it in different ways, but we all kind of, it comes in, in the center. You know, that's what I could say about that. Okay, now is there any test? Cause you know, you were, I've done all the, from AfricanAncestry.com, yeah. Ancestry, I've done them all. And I've even done Jed Match and, and mm -hmm. trying to get that. And maybe if you have something um, now or in the future, you say, look, I'll do everything guys for you. Here's the package. I just didn't want to give my money to Ancestry. I know. Um, <laughs> you know, that, yes. that's a whole nother, another story. I'd rather yes. give, it, give it to someone like you. Um, <laughs> but can you talk about um, is there any test that, you know, just your end user can take? Because the thing is, okay, if you're indigenous, FBA or whoever mm -hmm. you are, when reparations start coming around for slavery, I need you to still be indigenous and I'll try to get any of this reparation money because remember yeah. you were here before that, you mm -hmm. know, and, and, and well, who knows, maybe you're Whitley Gilbert and you were owning slave. I don't know. But <laughs> is there anything that we can buy online or have done now that can prove that or, you know, help us connect? No, I think it's, it's as you kind of, um, like you said, you try different things and you, you know, you see what's, you know, fitting for you. And I would say to kind of do some research. Um, I don't have a particular one. I know you did talk about Ancestry.com and, you know, there are others. But I think um, that is really specifically to you because I'm not sure of all of the tests because there's so many out there now. It's hard to. So I think you have to use your discretion and wisdom 
of what you want to do. But I think it's important, one, to start with doing genealogy work as much as, as possible. So even for my own family, starting with my parents, then my great-grandparents and my great-great-grandparents when they settled here in West Palm Beach, um, and, and some of them coming from Fernandina Beach and Bartow and starting there and looking at the records um, and to find your family that way. And then it's going as far back as you can. Um, um, particularly Florida is a little tricky too because of you have indigenous people, you have runaway slaves, you have people who are black pioneers that settled down here um, you know, and established land even down here. So I think for me, I would start with trying to do is genealogy as much as you, you possibly can and doing some research first. And then if you want to kind of go into the bloodline and as far back and looking at your DNA, I think is at your discretion to check out a few of your, those ancestry.com like, uh, which is more as reliable as possible, but it's, it's really hard to because everybody's now doing it. So, you know, I can't, I don't want to tell you, you know, this would work or that would work, but I would, I would start there with genealogy first, because you can do all those testing, but at the same time, I think it's important to look at the movement of your family members. Um, and you can look at that from a social and a cultural perspective and what was happening during those different times in history of why and when they were moving. And I'm not just talking about slavery, but specific events in time in the United States and even in Caribbean and what was happening um, in, in the African continent, what was happening um, in the ocean, in the, you know, in the ocean from, from here all the way across the water, uh, I think is important. And as a applied anthropologist, cultural anthropologist, that's what I look at too. I look at what was happening and looking at things holistically. Because only, you know, and looking at kind of these multi-dimensional ways of looking at instead of, instead of just DNA or just this way, all these layers of what happened to, to get me to me where who I am today and why, you know, so that's what I look at the why um, and why it's happening and what things impacted, you know, those things of who I am today, because it did, you know, if you're talking about the Great Depression, you're talking about slavery, you're talking about slave revolts, you're talking about indigenous people, you're talking about um, biological warfare and, you know, you know, uh, those who were against indigenous people and putting smallpox on blankets to, 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 you know, completely wipe out indigenous people. I mean, you're talking about how all those things fit into who you are today and, and how it shifted and moved. So, that's what I would I would focus on as an anthropologist. That's what I look at as well. Okay. And mm -hmm. this, this is this is good information. And, mm -hmm. and do you have a service if somebody would want, because you know, a lot of people nowadays are lazy and they rather pay you some money than actually do the research themselves. If you mm -hmm. have a service like that, but also give a ballpark figure what that costs, because that's going through a lot of records that might be taking yes. some flights, how deep people want to go and I go <laughs> back to Timbuktu and Mansa Musa. I know my grandfather's from there. Like <laughs> you have a package for that. And what's the range on that? Well, I mean, it, it just depends. I mean, I know a few people down south, um, a couple, I know a couple people down south who are, um, who work at the um, African American Research Library and Cultural Center in, in, um, in Broward, uh, Broward County, um, in the Cistrunk area, in Fort Lauderdale area, uh, that research center there, they have a couple of 
researchers there, um, and I can I can send the contact information of one. I know that they were doing some genealogy work down there, and as there's another anthropologist. I can't think of her name because I don't want to say her name, and she may not be <laughs> doing it. Uh, but there are individuals that do it, and they even do uh, genealogy workshops too of how you do it, and they can guide you through it. There are those type of things too because they are aware, particularly people of color. You know, our history, you know, you might get little bits and pieces, but because we were moved and forcibly moved and shifted around, it's very hard to do that kind of research. And we're not experts, you know, you can do but so much, but even local, local, uh, your local library, depending on what programming they have. But I know um, in, in Broward County, they were doing genealogy research and I can send you some of those contacts um, to you and you can provide it for your, your audience as well. I thank you for that yes. because it's needed. And, you know, we talk about slavery and we talk about, you know, Jim Crow and all those things, how they're impactful. But if we mm -hmm. want to be fully just out the box, we also need to talk about, because from here to, I'm married to an African. So it's always interesting how I say, yes. our families are the same. So yes. you also have to deal with, um, grandfather had a whole nother family on the other side of the town or in <laughs> another state and mm -hmm. we you know trying to link that up you might find out that you were dating your, your family members so, and people have and yes. so that's why to me it's important um yes and i think it is and so and part of what i do i do uh oral histories um as far as you if you can go to my website even the work that i've been doing uh, i do oral histories where i have youth interview elders Oh, it was like growing up in communities, but I just do oral histories, period. And that is a tradition um, of our culture and our people is to passing down knowledge orally, verbally uh, about our family and our heritage. Those oral histories, even talking to um, the older, the elders in your family, you'll be surprised how much um, they would share because our families, certain things in history, we don't talk about just because maybe it was so horrific or we don't talk about it because we don't think it's important, but it is important and very significant significant events that happen in our family that plays a huge role in how we get to where we are today. So I also encourage um, all, all of us to um, have conversations and go within and learning, uh, talking to our elders in our family about where they where they first were, where they moved to, uh, why they moved, and how that what kind of help tell the story and build these narratives about your family and your family history and your people's history too. So that's another part where you may not have all the knowledge and expertise of doing a genealogy, but you can sit down and press record on your phone and have a conversation with your great granddaddy if he's still alive or your grandmother or even your mother, because you'll be surprised what they have to say. It's just nobody asked them the question or asked them the right questions to give the answer about opening up a door about her history. We just never even knew about it, but it's sitting right in our house, <laughs> you know? So that that's another uh, avenue where I say, you know, you got walking textbooks walking around in your house, you know, right there. You, well, you may not learn in school, but they're, you, they're right there in front of you every day or every weekend you see your great grandparents right there to tell your story and your family history. The only problem with that is some folks that have secrets and they're trying to take them to the grave. And That's true. 
funeral. And so that's why someone like you and with your services and, and you, the people you know is invaluable. So when you guys yes. get those price tags, because mama, daddy might not want to tell you the whole story. They might not want to tell you they're about to be on a Hulu's Freak Nick because they're in the pool <laughs> pit right now. And I told you they always had a perfect life. But that is true. That is true. <laughs> That's why you got to go to considertheculture.com, which doesn't that sound like a million dollar name uh, for a domain? It, that, I love yes. it. And the <laughs> shirt you. And, and, you know, bracelets, hats, all that. I, I love it. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. Now, um, how frustrating does it get for you, if it gets frustrating, when you do hear the hoopla, you hear people talking about, you know, don't let the more science temple guys get a microphone. They're going to tell you that, you know, where you're really from and this is the only thing. But then if you hear somebody from FBA, if you hear a Pan-African, when you hear all of the noise, is everybody saying a little bit of truth? Are there some people that maybe, you know, we should say, no, we're not from Tunisia. <laughs> we're not from, you know, majority of us aren't from Egypt. Um, can can well, you give us a game on that? Um, I think that, you know, you can't get really in the hoopla. I think that what what you're seeing in anybody, everyone wants to really find some origin of where we're from, and particularly given our history where, you know, my last name is not probably when, you know, um, it was taken on, you know, given that name was given to me. And so this sense of wanting to um, understand and have a sense of identity and dissociate yourself, the identity with uh, who, who, particularly uh, those in the Americas and those of us that were brought here, our ancestors as slaves, is to really find out who we really are, because it's something about when you know who you are and the sense of pride that you have. So you will have people always researching and trying to find or believe they have found the answer to uh, what we were looking for and who we are. But then even the affirmation that we are we are greater and powerful than what we've been taught we were. Um, but the evidence is clear of how powerful you know, people of color are from all walks of life and all from the African diaspora. So, I mean, I don't, I don't, yeah, sometimes I get a little frustrated, but I don't, I think that what I see and what I understand is this people, this response to, you know, slavery is a response to oppressing so many, a group of people in such a way that people are like, I wanna know who I really am because, or this is who I really am, or I'm gonna study that. And then when they unfold or uncover certain things, they wanna share it with other people. But the challenge is you got 10 people doing that. <laughs> and when you got 10 people doing that, you got 10 voices um, saying diff maybe different things or the same things. So I don't discredit that, but the challenge is like, how do you know what is true now? Because you got so many people are doing it and they're doing it rightfully so. You want answers to the questions of who am I and where did I come from and um, why, the why and the how. And so, I, you know, I, that's a hard answer to, to ask. It's hard to answer that because, but it is frustrating because you hear all these different things. And as a researcher, um, as a cultural person, I can do some research and say, hey, no, this is the answer. But then how 
how would somebody believe me when they're hearing 10 different things too? So I think that that goes back to really deciphering, um, you know, you know, what you think is the truth, because um, it, it's hard to do that. But then you look at the evidence. What is the evidence? And then do you believe the evidence, too, that is being presented to you as well? You know, so I think it goes down to what makes sense to you um, and then testing it for yourself and seeing like, eh, yeah, that sounds interesting, but I don't really know about that. <laughs> you know, and that's the challenge as an educator, because you got kids learning uh, you know, you know, history at school, but then now it's a challenge of what history you can teach, um, or are you violating the law now <laughs> if you teach too much of something of people of color, or if you too woke um, in teaching that history? So you got that challenge. Then you got people who look like you trying to educate you about no, this is who you really are. But you got ten different people over here doing that too, and then this side is saying don't teach none of that you know, because it's causing some problems. So um, I feel for the for the child <laughs> or the one who's seeking the truth for their education of who they are. And um, that's why it's so important. Educators, it's so important to be very clear and transparent about, listen, this is what I know and this is what I found and I'm presenting this to you, but you decide if, you know, what, what if this feels right for you, if, you know, and then it's like education is not a feeling, but you still got to really, be able to receive that in your spirit if that is like, okay, that makes sense to me. You know, here's, this is a result of this and that makes sense to me. You know what I mean? Like I, I, that's that's a hard question to answer because of as an educator, so many different um, theories, is so many different perspectives, is so many different ideas and there's so much evidence of certain things now. It's hard to, you know, see like, okay, is this real? You know, it makes sense, but then I get this person over here saying this about me too. So, you know, that's that's a tough one, especially as an educator. Well, and, and for all the education that you've done, you know, and that's why I tell I bring these um, stories to you, you people listening, and and for those mm -hmm. of you watching, um, I know more I have more listeners, and for if you guys don't know. For the listeners, you can go, always go to the jump to the YouTube or Facebook, wherever this is. But if you need to see Dr. Wynn, Dr. Mm -hmm. Wynn is not an Instagram model. She just plays like that on the <laughs> thumbnails. Okay. So, but now when you talk about education and trying to educate people, people now want to be edutained because yeah. they want you to look a certain way. And maybe they want you in the Rolls Royce, Dr. Mm -hmm. Wynn, with your foot up or being chauffeured for them to even hear you because they want to hear, oh, you got some money first before mm -hmm. I even hear what you got to say. And if you show me you got some money, I have trained my brain through rap music and movies and, and mm -hmm. TV to only, you know, validate those things. So does, does that ever get frustrated? Has it always been like that? Because maybe you say, hey, man, 100 years ago, it was the same thing. If you had more mm -hmm. horses, you had more goats, people listened to you and you were yeah. could be a shyster. Um, yeah. Yeah. T tell us. Well, I think I think, you know, I, I can only speak on like my journey. I grew up in Riviera Beach. Right. And, it, it, you know, growing up in Riviera Beach, Florida is it, is was. The raw. I grew up in the raw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, all my life, I grew up in the raw. I left here when I was 17, 18 year old, years old to go off to school. And, you know, what was pushed for me was get an education. 
you know, and do what you need to do to get that education because there was an, an assumption and a stereotypical idea of people who are women who look like me don't, aren't supposed to be like how I am today, right? And so I I pursued going all the way with my PhD, but but with the expectation that I would not complete that because of where I come from and my test scores and my grades, right? So there's a stereotypical presentation of who should be educated and who should not. Now, then you stamp what you just said about who would listen to you based upon this idea of what is education. From what I experienced, education has never been something entertaining for me <laughs> because it requires it required something, one, perseverance. It required attention and, and being very careful and being committed to something. So I think that if you truly want to understand what it is to, 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 to be educated, but to really, uh, for people to listen to you, people, if they really want to know something, they will do what they need to do to understand it. Now, this superficial idea of what education is or who should hear them is not real and they will soon find out very quickly <laughs> on the other side of what real education is and uh what you know uh, uh anybody in the education field is not not have not, not always been or will be millionaires because it is true education and really passing down some knowledge to people and it requires a lot of work right and of course you know, there are people who make a lot of money in that education, but the idea of edutainment, it loses its flair after a time. And the real deal will always come forth because it is hoopla. <laughs> it is an imposter, I would say, edutainment, because real education, um, it requires a, some deep thinking. It requires research. It requires time. And so anybody that just put some sparkles <laughs> on education, that sparkle will fade. Uh, I would say that. So, uh, you know, I think those who there, you can be very creative. So there is something as edutainment, but I think it's it's more of being creative in how you do it, right? So if, if I'm trying to capture some young people about the history of slavery or the history, the local contributions of people of color in West Palm Beach, I know that I can't just stand there and have a textbook and expect them, some teenagers to listen to me. They're not gonna listen, especially when they are drawn to social media, especially when they're drawn to the visualization of learning. Therefore, that old way of teaching is over because you have a generation who grew up with technology in every way imaginable. So if I'm educating teenagers, I must incorporate what they can relate to. Or if I don't, I'm going to lose them easily. So that edutainment, it has to have some substance and it has to be something relatable, but it has to be something that they can, young people, for example, can take away. So when I did the oral history project and I had my young people interview elders of what it was like growing up in Palm Beach County, I asked them, what do you want the end product to be? What do you want to know and how do you want to know it? They said, I want a documentary, Dr. Wynn. I said, okay, how long would you sit 
in watching a documentary as a 16 year old. They said 10 minutes because anything after that, you will lose us. They told me that. So when we did a documentary about interviewing eight elders, we did it for 10 minutes and 39 seconds. <laughs> so, and that is it, you know? 10 minutes, eight people, that is shocking. And this is why a lot of you guys, you, you won't find a relationship because you need to put in more than 10 minutes. Um, <laughs> you take that how you want, but everything is just that 10 minute. But if that's where they're at, that's where they're at. So that documentary that you did for them, have you, you know, well, let me rephrase that. That documentary, yes. um, have you done others? Have you written books? And what is your community give back to the people? Because if you haven't, done any of that yet fully I'm going to say that would be the give back like we need a book we need more movies we need you to do it well okay so if you go to my page considertheculture.com and you go on the right at the top right it has PBC oral history project and you click on that you'll see the whole recap of those who were the elders that were interviewed, the youth that interviewed them, the story about it you'll see the documentary you'll see uh clips of, of youth that talk about their experience with the project, you'll see a link to their Instagram page because that's another thing. The youth wanted an Instagram page, right? So it's like you have to meet people where they are. If you're a 16 year old and you pay attention to 10 minutes, I'm gonna try to capture you for that 10 minutes, but at best believe you're gonna be educated in that small 10 minutes immediately because I gave them exactly what they told me they what would they would pay attention to not what I would pay attention to but what they so if 10 minutes is what would capture them then I need to be creative in that 10 minutes so they can learn as much as possible in that 10 minutes and they did because I interviewed them after the project and I said how did what was it how did you learn what is what was did you take away whatever and they said that documentary was it that Instagram, I can go to that Instagram page and learn about Miss such and such and what it was like being a student and farming the land in Belglade, you know, and what was it like for me as a child to have to go to school, but then after school, I have to go farm the fields in Belglade. And I learned that just from looking at an Instagram page versus spending an hour in a classroom <laughs> learning about it. You know what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. 10 minutes is a lot of time for someone whose tension span is this short. You know, so being creative in that way, but listening to what people are telling you, how they learn, because they're different learners. They're audio learners, they're visual learners, there's learners that take, they have to talk about it or read about it. So you pay attention to the different ways and what people say, well, what works for them? And then you utilize that knowledge to help educate in various ways. And that, and that is what I do. Uh, you know, so you go to my page and what the work that I'm doing right now, um, I'm, I'm still doing oral history projects. Uh, the students wanted, we had an exhibit connected to the project. So we got an Instagram page, a documentary and an exhibit. So they're different learners. So if you want to learn visually, go to Instagram on social media. If you want to learn, you like watching movies, you look at the documentary. If you a visual person and like reading and seeing exhibits, go see the exhibit. Those are three different ways to learn about history of three elders that impacted Palm Beach County uh, back in the day, you know? So that's one example of, that I would give related to that. 
and you put a lot of time. So that is a good give, give back. I mean, that page that you put out and, and, you know, just putting that together, everything mm -hmm. Dr. Wynn just explained, this is my words, not hers. So you guys don't ding her, but this is why you see immigrants win. This is why you see the rest of the world winning. Cause you guys got 10 minute attention spans. Wow. <laughs> go to Africa, go to China, go to almost India, go where people really value education and reading books. Um, but you guys got 10 minutes. So when you are at that store saying, can I, where, can I see your receipt? That is why, because you got 10 minutes. You didn't want to put the time in like Dr. Wynn put in, like when I paid Sally Maybach back during that pandemic and said, I'm dead free, Dave Ramsey. Wow. <laughs> um, you know, that I, I love it. And like I said, I'm saying that because you as an educator and you see why I told you I'm up for a position while I can sometimes I have to give it raw like this because <laughs> we're in a time where we're losing like a lot of people don't want to think they want to mm -hmm. know. They don't want to explore. They don't want to research. They just want to know it like that. I got a nine-year-old like that. She tells me stuff that, no, it wasn't, it wasn't, whoop, there it is, by this person, by the 69 yeah. boys. Hold on. What? Turn that off. What are we talking about? Tag team or, or 69, you know, in Florida. So they hear it and they hear right. their, you know, their, right. their people and the, the history. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Book-wise, book wise, I want to make sure I didn't overlook anything. You don't have a book yet, correct? I don't. I have some articles that I have written, and you all again, you can go to my my page. Um, I work. I've written some book chapters. I've uh, written a uh, book chapter specifically. Um, it, well, actually, that's coming out a book chapter, a journal on um, conditionally accepted, and it's about my journey um, as a as a as a black woman that started out in academia and took what I learned in academia and put it out to the masses. So I'm being interviewed on that. Um, I also done work, which I plan to turn into a book, which is uh, the, the culture and the history of the Atlanta Life Insurance Company. And that's which I did my dissertation on. And that is a book, but it's my dissertation when I graduated. But my plan is to turn it into a book, is to look at uh, an, a black insurance company that was probably the second largest black insurance company in the Southeast region of the United States in the 20, 20th century and their role in the civil rights movement and why companies and businesses uh, back in the day were vital in the rights and fighting for the rights of people of color, particularly during the 60s. And so that book uh, focused on that where I interviewed 20 um, former and current members or employees of that company to find out what it was like to work for that company, but how it was um, impactful to even be an employee of a company where particularly were women. Um, back then, Black women, their job, the expectation for the, the type of jobs will be in the domestic service Right. But if you work for Atlanta Life, you may have been a secretary, but it lifted up your prestige and status to even work for an insurance company, no matter how low a position you were. And that brought you up from working class to middle class immediately. And so what it even did for people of color to work for a company or an insurance company and looking beyond the role of what a, a business would do. And so even looking at black companies companies as models to impact change in communities because that's what they did in the past and it still works today. So that is something that is a, a 
that I'm working on to turn that into a book um, and to, to help educate others, not just about a company, but the role companies played in communities um, and how, how that can be modeled. Uh, it still works, <laughs> you know? That's what people did, what they had to do back then, and it, it still works today. So that is a book that I'm working on, but I do have a few articles that I work that I'm that I've done completed uh, too that you can you can look at. And you have a YouTube channel that I that I, I can see like a whole series for a YouTube channel, something you haven't done. It's I've seen online at, on the site. Yeah. But just talking about, you know, a lot of folks now too are telling people um, how to get married, how to, you know, how to do this, how to have a baby. Um, oh, but you guys aren't like your grandmothers. Oh, you're not mm -hmm. like, like your grandmothers. And someone with your knowledge of history can mm -hmm. actually go back and tell people with, and you've been tried and tested through the education and mm -hmm. say, no, we're not like our grandmothers, but guess what? We're not like our great grandmothers either because sometimes there wasn't a choice back then and right. nothing would get done. And people, you know, fail to realize like, no, it's not going to be like the olden days. And I love when I hear black folks, especially men say it because I, it reminds me of, oh, now you guys get to act like the colonizer you always talk about, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> uh, why would they give up their power? Um, yeah. And why would they give up how life is? They don't they want everything to stay the same, the same way you want everything to go back to how your grandmother was. So you think many people yeah. didn't even have conversations with their grandmother right. in detail. Cause I tell you, mine yeah. told me something like to the ladies, I would listen and she'd be like, you shouldn't have a, open pocketbook and an empty one and I would be like nine like huh? <laughs> you know <laughs> just yeah. like Ooh. and if you get it you get it but we're you know I, I'm yeah from and my grandmother's from Arkansas like you know yeah. child at 12 which we don't wow. know is that yeah. my force mm -hmm. is that mm -hmm. my choice and that's yeah. not something you really ask your grandmother that's right that's right that you, you know and you're right. And, you know, I, I appreciate you saying that because that is something that, you know, another channel or area that um, in the, in the near, near future to go into as far as a podcast or YouTube, because um, and that's the reason why I, I even started my business, because as I was teaching class at the university, um, I, before I moved back to West Palm, I was teaching at Fayetteville State University in Fayetteville, North Carolina, which is HBCU, too with a, a little military influence because Fort Bragg is there. Um, and I was in the classroom and I was teaching pre predominantly African-American students or students of color. And um, I realized like from teaching them how impactful it was, what I was sharing, the knowledge. And I said, you know what? I, I want other people to hear that. You know, everybody may not be in the classroom or in a university, but they might be on the radio. They might be on their cell phones. They might be on social media. So how can I take what I'm doing in a college classroom and move that into the larger masses of it. And so definitely um, a YouTube or podcast is something that I have been working towards uh, doing because I know, you know, it's just things you're, you know, you're not getting in the classroom in school, you know, you may not get it. You know, a lot of my education stuff I do is after school <laughs> with young people um, or, or just in passing. I was just educating somebody at the restaurant, at a restaurant I was just at about linguistic anthropology and language and how linguistic anthropologies not just study language, but look at dialects as a form of a language and 
how that came about. So when we saying this, that, those, and them, and using the D sound, you know, instead of the TH sound, there's some historical reasons and cultural reasons why we use the D instead of the TH. Maybe the TH was not a part of our vocabulary and our language. So we use D instead, trying to speak a new language. So we use our own language to help to speak a new language. And but is interpreted as I'm ghetto and I'm hood and I'm using I'm using you know broken English, but broken English is a language too as a result of historical things that happen and meshing one language with another language to create a syncretized language. And so linguistic anthropologists um, look at that and look at the value of dialects and accents. And it is not with a negative stigma to it, but it's actually something positive that people should consider, you know, consider that culture, <laughs> you know. When you are ready for that YouTube, you hit me yes, up sir. because what you're talking about, I've only heard a few like entertainers like uh, Jenadiah, the classic man, and mm -hmm. talk about, you yeah. know, even when we say, you know, um, and, and pigeon, you know, uh, you might say in indie, you go into all of that. Yeah. But you're taught as an American, no, don't say it like that. But then if you go to Cameroon, you go to Nigeria, go to Sierra Leone, you guys see the flag in the back behind the lion, behind the Cameroon yes. lion. I that see. is how pigeon is taught. So you're still carrying some of that. Yes. And, but you're told, oh, no, that's not civilized. That's not sophisticated. No. By, no. by the same colonizers that did what? So I'm saying that not Dr. Wynn, but she is, she said, yes, yeah, she shook her head. So I might be onto something. No, I mean, it's, it's the truth. It's the truth. Growing up, you know, I grew up, growing up in the raw. I mean, growing up and in, in becoming educated and even my mother corrected me because she knew my mother and father grew up in the 40s and the 50s and blackness was definitely not accepted you know what I mean or anything ethnic you had to assimilate into European or western tides ways whether it's your hair your dress but especially your talk or your speech so when I say oh I'm finna go and my mama say what's the finna What's the finna? That was her way of educating me to make sure I code switch when I was around people that did not look like me to present the educational part of me and say, I'm going, I'm about to leave instead of I'm finna go. But I still kept that finna, but it's important to code switch, which is another word we code switch all the time. So when I'm in, in class and I'm teaching, I'm not going to say I'm, we finna leave class. We're okay. We're about to close things out. But that finna is just as important and valuable as what I was taught. But I was taught finna is bad. Finna is uneducated. Finna is wrong. Finna is negative. But that's a part of my culture growing up. Finna or Dane over there, mama. <laughs> They're not over there, mom. And my, what's the Dane name? So my mama didn't dismiss the finnas, but she understood, you know, in larger extreme mainstream culture, I need to know when to say finna and when to say I'm about to, you know, but it was treated negative of what out there. And so if I start talking to my students, say, what's up, y'all? You know, we about to turn to page 25 because we about to we about to run through this. They would look at me like, you know, and I asked them. What would you do if I walked in the class speaking like that? Some of them say, I probably would drop your class, Dr. Wayne. That's real because that speech 
was is associated with being uneducated, which is not true. And then I would turn around and say that same thing in, in full, you know, English vernacular. And I'm like, well, am I uneducated? No. I say, okay, so what do you think is happening? Oh, that's code switching. That's what that is. We all do it, but some is more valued than others, you know, and yeah, that's the kind of stuff we that we need to talk about that. That's important for, for young people to understand, like, it is nothing wrong with finners. <laughs> Ain't nothing wrong with it. You just need to know when to use it. But it's it's a beautiful thing. Finners is beautiful. You know, I say it all the time with my sisters and how I talk with my family. But let me sit in the office as a chair professor in the department and say some finners. They like, because they've been taught that that's uneducated too. So it don't sound right to them as this professor in her professorship to talk like that and say, that that's what's up, doctor. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> real, real, real talk. And, and it's crazy because when you see, you know, not just us, but even when you see other people, Chinese, um, yeah. they go to Africa and their pigeon will be on point. And yeah. they'll understand with Afrobeats and uh, Nollywood yeah. uh, taking over globally, mm-hmm. um, you know, more and more people might be like, okay, that's acceptable. And that's just things change because none of us or very few of us are speaking the Queen's English. I right. always put Shakespeare on my schedule every night before <laughs> I go to bed, but I'm just sophisticated, y'all. That's, uh, I don't want to give them a game overload. I want them to get this game. I want them to go to considertheculture.com. Check out what Dr. Wynn has. If you're here in South Florida, feel free to go take her class. For you thirsty Stevens that have been hitting my guests in the DMs, um, <laughs> get some game. Do it in a different way. Come through me and maybe I'll tell you if that person is single or married. And you know, maybe I'll introduce you properly. But uh, yeah, leave people's DMs alone unless you see something I don't on there. That's hilarious. I love it though. Yeah. (laughs) You want to give any last words? Um, I want to just say I appreciate for this platform and um, this opportunity because, you know, most of the time people don't know what anthropology is. um, And that's because we haven't been exposed to it. I'm usually... In school, I was probably the only black in class, black person, a person of color in the classroom, um, because I'd never heard of anthropology, simply the study of human beings, um, and how important it is to. I'm studying anthropology, but I'm studying myself and and sharing now sharing with others myself and my people, which is the most rewarding thing ever to go off and learn about simply looking at myself from an outside perspective and then having names and words and de- and terms to go with my whole journey it w- has been an amazing thing and to relay that to other people that look like me but don't look like me so a lot of times i'm at the decision making table speaking on behalf of me and those who look like me when i'm the only one at the table you know and because i have a cultural perspective or credentials behind my name they might be quiet for five minutes and listen to it. And so I'm thankful for that opportunity to be the voice of of people or people who are usually kind of dismissed or have a stereotypical or false perspective of who we are. So I thank you for this platform to even to share what I do and even share my, my page, but even to continue the conversation 
um, and the discussion about uh, all of us from the diaspora, because I love that. I love the fact that, you know, we 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 may have issues with each other, but we all kind of connected in such a powerful way and coming together would even be more powerful that I just look and aspire <laughs> to see more and more and more because if we if we united it I mean it ain't no stopping us seriously so thank you thank you for this opportunity amen amen and you are so welcome and for those of you who've tuned in to the end you are welcome as well make sure if you do nothing else you share this game with somebody it will change their life y'all be blessed I'm from the Diaspora channel, a lover of Africa. If you love Africa as well, and you would love to visit one day or to relocate to Africa, there is a course out there for you. And this course is my first trip to Africa, a course well put together by a seasoned traveler, Kellen Cash Coleman. This course is designed to prepare you to travel better, which will save you both time and money. And the great news is this course costs only $20, guys. It can't get any better. Go right now and enroll to this course at www.diversifygame.com. Don't miss out.